Thank you for listening to the Institute of World Politics podcast. To learn more about our graduate programs in national security, international affairs, and intelligence, or to support our work in educating future leaders, please visit www.iwp.edu. Hello, and welcome to the Institute of World Politics seventh annual student symposium. My name is Sebastian Smerano. I am the current editor-in-chief of IWP's newest student publication, namely the journal Statecraft, and I will serve as your moderator for today's event. For those of you joining us for the first time, the Institute of World Politics is a graduate school of national security, intelligence, and international affairs. We have five master's programs, um, 18 certificates of study, a doctoral program, and two new online master of arts programs. So if you're interested in learning more, we invite you to visit us at iwp.edu. So for this seventh annual uh, student symposium, four IWP students, Emily Miller, Caroline Hickey, Maria Calderoni, and Hannah Wilk, will be presenting research papers from their studies here. I'm especially happy uh, to get to moderate today's panel because each of tonight's speakers has had their research papers selected for this inaugural issue of the Statecraft Journal, which our phenomenal team of editors is preparing to launch at the end of this month. So if you're not on our IWP mailing list already, please make sure you sign up on our website so we can let you know when it is published. Our first presenter is Emily Miller. Her topic, Avenging Angels, Russia's Legacy of Female Terrorism in Revolution and the Chechen Conflict. Emily Miller is an international development professional with five years of experience in business development, communications, and program design and implementation. She graduates this semester with an MA in Statecraft and National Security Affairs from IWP with a specialization in public diplomacy and strategic influence. Her graduate research has focused on pre-Soviet and Soviet Russia, the influence of non-state actors on international security and the intersection of policymaking and ideology. As a reminder, if you have questions for the speakers, please feel free to place them at any time in the Zoom, not in the chat, in the Zoom Q&A, uh, portal, or if you're joining us on Facebook, in the live stream comments. We will have a Q&A for each speaker immediately following each presentation. So without further ado, Emily Miller. Thank you, Sebastian, so much for the introduction. And thank you, everyone who's joining today. Um, really appreciate your time and the chance to speak with you all about this topic that I found so interesting. Um, so in my research of Russian history while at IWP, I've been especially drawn to Russia's legacy of female perpetrated terrorism. Um, for myself and for many others based on my readings, there's this very compelling dichotomy between traditional perceptions of femininity and womanhood um, and brutal premeditated violence. While this dichotomy is true for all female perpetrated violence, um, Russian female terrorists have been particularly prominent and shocking for their violence, their fervor, and um, their popular mythologization, which I'll, I'll dive into a little bit later. Um, my research is focused on two primary classes of female terrorists. So the first is uh, socialist revolutionaries from the late 1800s into the 1900s. And then the second is more modern day female suicide bombers in Chechnya um, from the 1990s onward. Um, each group has been studied independently, but very rarely in comparison to one another. And in my research of them together, I've found uh, several interesting 
distinctions. The one of greatest interest to me was the disparity in ownership between the two groups of their own narratives. Um, while revolutionary female terrorists actively contributed to their public portrayal as these avenging angels, um, Chechen female terrorists have lacked any real agency in defining their motives and crafting their own public image. Instead, their narrative has often been co-opted by Chechen leadership and the Russian media for largely political ends. Um, thus, we know a lot less firsthand of what drives modern Chechen women to terrorism. But by comparing these women to their revolutionary predecessors, um, I've aimed to surface some potential explanations for modern female terrorism and the reasons why the Chechens have been unable to assume the same agency in their narratives. So to start off, I'll provide a picture of the revolutionary era terrorists to provide some background context. Um, women first entered the socialist revolutionary scene with the Decemberist revolt in 1825, but female terrorists really only became a distinctive force in the revolutionary movement in the late 1970s. Um, the trigger was the case of Vera Zasulich, who in 1978, excuse me, <clears throat> um, at only age 28, shot the St. Petersburg governor general. Um, this trial became a public spectacle where she ultimately was acquitted of all charges and, and became this sort of national heroine who was seen as protecting this political prisoner who had been victimized by the governor general. Um, and she quickly became for the Russian public this case study of this new appealing contrast between femininity and, and brutality. Um, discussing motives for these women and entering the movement to begin with, there were several key societal and psychological factors that drove Russian women to revolutionary activity and to terrorism specifically. Um, the first was a frustration with limited educational and economic opportunities, especially as compared to their male counterparts. Um, the revolutionary movement provided these women both a physical separation from the limiting societal expectations of their sex and also this really compelling ideological draw of true equality with, with their male counterparts. Um, so why terrorism specifically? Drastic as it was, terrorism enabled equality of action and of sacrifice, not just of ideology. It allowed these women to be heroes in their own right. Uh, there also was this general sense across a lot of the revolutionaries of this sense of duty to serve the people. Um, in terrorism, this manifested as a sense of killing on the people's behalf. And this conception of service was especially compelling for Russian women um, as, as touted by their own messaging. However, this sentiment wasn't as noble and clear cut as it first appeared. A lot of female terrorists were consumed with the idea of sacrifice itself over the actual political and social cause. Um, many women projected their own plight onto that of the serfs that socialism claimed to fight for. Um, so by fighting the existing order and taking up this cause of the oppressed, they were actually advocating more for themselves than this often distant social strata. Um, the idea of the serf was really this amorphous conception to them and far less compelling than the outright draw of heroic sacrifice. Um, this was also compounded for many women by a strong religious belief, which led several of them to view their sacrifice as, as Christ-like. Uh, in their writings, many of these female terrorists revealed this really fundamental disconnect from objective political and societal realities. Uh, a lot were driven more by these psychological and emotional drives to redefine themselves outside of societal norms, and then also to meet these deep-seated needs to be seen not just as equals, but as, as true heroes. Um, however, both public perceptions at the time 
And many historical accounts since have actually failed to appreciate this really disturbing nuance um, and have instead kind of adopted these women as these martyr avengers who are both these terrifying yet inspiring models of, of virtue and selfless commitment to cause. Um, this portrait was aided by the widely held belief in Russian society at the time that women were inherently subservient and therefore more virtuous than men. Uh, while this idea rendered female terrorists more shocking in some respects, it actually ultimately aided their positive public reception as, as moral figures. Um, this overly simplistic and romantic, romanticized, excuse me, avenging angel portrait was one that the women themselves capitalized upon. So one of the best examples of this is Maria Spiridonova, who published a series of letters um, where she actually falsified and exaggerated this brutal treatment at, um, at her arrest by Russian public officials. Uh, and this was mirrored by a lot of a lot of her female terrorist contemporaries who owned and, and manipulated their own narratives um, and sort of assumed this role as deliberate partial architects of their own myths. Moving to modern day, um, Chechnya's modern black widows, as they're called, which I'll explain a little bit later, haven't had any such agency in determining their narratives. Um, to provide a bit of context, since the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991, the Chechen independence movement has been marked by this really bloody conflict between the population that's grasping for this separate identity and then the powerful Russian military state that's unwilling to relinquish its hold on the region. Um, terrorism has been a frequent tool for both sides, both employed by the Chechens and then propagandized by the Russians to maintain uh, sovereignty over the region. The role of women specifically in Chechen terror began to really circulate in the mid 1990s. Um, but the idea of the Black Widow suicide bombers only truly captured public attention in the early 2000s with um, <clears throat> excuse me, noteworthy attacks on Russian military establishments. And then most, most notably the hostage crisis at Russia's Dubrovka theater in 2002, um, which was a, a very widely publicized event. Um, Estimates vary, but uh, the general calculus say that roughly 40 to 50 Chechen rebels held uh, over 800 hostages in this public theater. Um, and there were significant casualties over the course of both the hostage situation and then the ultimate release. Um, estimates from upwards of 120, 130 hostages were killed in this crisis. Um, and the, the female suicide bombers themselves were a key pick excuse me, key component of, of this crisis and publicized as such. Um, unlike their revolutionary predecessors, however, these Chechen female terrorists have largely been defined by external voices rather than their own um, storytelling. So an interesting study by Elisa Stack breaks these por portrayals into two main categories. Um, the first is of the Black Widow, who undertakes this violence as vengeance for loss of a man in her life, her husband, her brother, her father, etc. And then the second is this portrayal of the zombie who's lured into terrorism through rape, intimidation, deception, or desperation. Um, interestingly, both of these portraits hinge upon men and neither actually places the woman herself at the center of her own narrative. Uh, additionally, both have been heavily propagandized by both sides of the conflict. Um, the Black Widow image has been largely adopted by Chechen leadership to humanize the Chechen struggle um, and to actually shame men into joining uh, the rebel cause. And then the zombie image has been largely adopted by the Russian press, both to dehumanize conversely the Chechen movement and to undermine Chechnya's ideological cause, um, saying that it's not a compelling enough cause for people to rationally 
fight for, they need to be lured in by force. Um, a 2007 study of some family members, close associates, and hostages of 30 of these female Chechen suicide bombers is really one of the only most direct channels we have to understanding the women's motives. And the findings actually discredit both the Black Widow and zombie images to some extent. Um, this study found that all women had a history of serious personal trauma, indicating that their revolutionary activity was actually a search for a resolution to this deep-seated psychological damage, which undermines the Black Widow's uh, conception of this rational heroics. Um, the study also found that most of these women were self-recruited to their cause, driven by a combination of nationalism and, again, this desire to find personal meaning, which in turn undermines the zombie narrative of being forced into terrorism against their own will. Even these findings, however, are still secondhand. So by comparing Chechen women to their revolutionary predecessors, we're allowed to explore some more insight into both the, their modern motives and their potential to achieve independent voice in the future. Um, like the revolutionary female terrorists, uh, these Chechen suicide bombers motives seem to reside on a deeper psychological level than societal constraints or, or political convictions. Um, as discussed earlier, female revolutionary terrorism frequently boiled down to this individual psychology, which, which often manifested in the obsession with sacrifice itself. And based on this 2007 study, Chechen women seem to follow a similar trend, adopting terrorism as a means to a, a deeper psychological end. Their adoption of suicide bombing, in addition, um, beyond its alignment with broader trends in modern terrorism regarding civilian targeting, may also reflect an enhanced obsession with self-sacrifice, especially through a religious lens, and this desire to escape guilt and personal psychological trauma through their actions. Uh, as discussed earlier, another key driver of female revolutionary terrorism was this discontent with limiting societal structures and a desire for equality. Um, it's important to note that traditional Muslim roles and conceptions of women haven't played out in Chechnya as they have elsewhere. Um, Chechen women have overall received greater freedoms than a lot of Muslim women in the Middle East. Um, however, Chechen women do still have these designated roles within their family structures. Uh, coupling with that, uh, the onset of jihadist ideology has undermined women's status further, um, which may increasingly drive their, their radical attempts for equality through revolutionary and terrorist action. So given these commonalities of cause, why have Chechen female terrorists lacked the independent voice and celebrity status of their revolutionary predecessors? I'd argue that it's the nature of modern terrorism that may have more to do with this than anything. Um, terrorism today is viewed in much broader strokes than it was in prior centuries when it was kind of first entering the security scene. Except for a few key figures at the highest levels, perpetrators of terrorism are mostly seen as movements and groups rather than individuals. Um, compounding this is the fact that terrorists are seen less as public advocates now and more as enemies of the people. Um, this is largely due to their increased targeting of civilians and of, of non-military bases. So given these factors, citizens are both less willing and less capable of mythologizing most individual terrorists. Um, so even if Chechen female terrorists were to assume greater agency in sharing their own narratives, it's unlikely that they'd be publicly lauded as, as virtuous martyrs on the same scale as their revolutionary predecessors. Um, however, only, only time will tell if their unpropagandized narratives will gain this, <clears throat> excuse me, gain this greater individuality and prominence 
um, similar to those of the, the revolutionary women who paved their way. Um, that concludes my presentation and I will open it up for any questions that anyone has. Thank you. Thank you very much, Emily. Um, here I am. Thank you very much, Emily. Uh, that was a great presentation. As we wait, again, uh, you can place your uh, questions either in the Q&A panel in the Zoom or in the feed on the Facebook comments. Um, and as we wait for that, I, I'm just curious, what, if anything, um, surprised you while you were doing this research? Um, I think the, <clears throat> excuse me, I think what was most surprising to me was, was the lack of narrative agency, especially on the part of the modern, um, the modern Chechens, just given the fact that with social media, with, with greater public, publicization, excuse me, ability of every individual. Um, it's, it's surprising to me that this is the era where there's less individual voice in defining, um, explaining their own motives, defining their own cause, and that that was actually a lot more present back in the, the late 1800s and earlier 1900s. Yeah, that, that was, uh, that's a great um, observation. And that's kind of why, what prompted my question that <laughs> we do live in the age of narratives. We do live in the age of truthful narratives, uh, fake narratives, all kinds of narratives. And and to uh, and for you to have kind of found out that this is not a big factor uh, it, it was surprising to me. And I, it's interesting that it was surprising to you too. Um, so what um, what were your primary sources? Somebody wants to know. What, did you get to do any first-person interviews or... This is from uh, Mr. Benedict, thank you. No, this, so this was all secondary sources. Um, there's been a substantial amount of research on this topic, especially on the revolutionary era women um, and some really interesting analyses, especially, um, I can pull a few of them, but uh, Amy Knight was a, a significant source. Um, so there's a lot of existing material on each individual group. Uh, the, the more, innovative research part on my end was more combining those resources and looking at the studies in comparison to one another. Um, I would definitely be interested in furthering the research and bringing in more primary sources. Um, and as ideally, again, as like interviews potentially become published more or these um, modern day women begin to have more of a voice, uh, would definitely be interested in exploring that further. Great. And <clears throat> yes, this is another very interesting question. Where do you see the future for Russian uh, women? Is it a continuing strain that runs through Russian history? Well, we're we're kind of, we emphasize that at IWP a lot, right? That, that you kind of have to take the entire historical perspective of it. So where do you, is it, is it a strain that's running through Russian history and where do you see that going? That's a great question. I don't know. So there are elements of this that are definitely uniquely Russian, as I mentioned, in the way that society portrayed women. Um, but a lot of the a lot of the factors that kind of brought these women to the forefront um, have to do more with political upheaval and um, this sense of trying to find um, find this political voice and this psychological uh, resolution. So I think. 
I, I can see those be, being common trends um, far into the future, again, accompanied by ongoing political conflict and especially um, an ongoing like territory, <clears throat> excuse me, territorial and um, uh, conflict over, over like sovereignty, like we're seeing with the Chechen independence movement now. Yeah, that's great. <clears throat> yes, I mean, the tension, tension always simmers. And, and uh, you made a great point too that um, uh, it tends to um, uh, show itself when it is uh, more likely to be validated than not. And, and perhaps, as you said, the nature, the nature of how we view this or how we have defined terrorism, kind of an ever expanding definition of terrorism is, is, uh, is, is making it more difficult. Um, if there are no more questions, I want to thank Emily very much for a great presentation. Oh. Sorry, we do have one. Um, are there, let me just take it from the chat. Are there many portrayals in literature, film, propaganda, etc., cetera, uh, exploiting or portraying Russian female hero terrorists or martyrs um, as in uses in public diplomacy and internal Soviet Russian um, activities? Yes, so Thank definitely you. this was this was more so the case um, this was more so the case back in the revolutionary era. It was very frequent for these women, especially by actually the socialist movement itself um, to be propagandized and, and um, for that martyr image to be publicized much more broadly. Um, today, we're seeing it pan out again, like I mentioned in um, the Chechen women are sort of portrayed in these divergent images by their own leadership um, but also by Russian media. Uh, they're not terribly prominent in a lot of um, like public, um, excuse me, more pop popular like movies or shows or, or things like that. Um, but on a, on a on the level of political uh, positioning and argumentation, they're definitely used as propaganda pieces today. Um, again, neither one really accurately reflective of the, the individual motives as told by the women themselves. Yeah, and there's there's a um, somewhat of a follow-up and, and you touched on it a little bit. Um, did you feel that there were any differences? Uh, I'm assuming the question is saying in, in their behavior and or decisions based on religion. That's or a great question. Thereof, yeah. That's a great question. So it was a little bit, the connection was a little bit clearer in the revolutionary era um, terrorists. A lot of women wrote explicitly about seeing themselves as Christ-like and identifying themselves with that motivation. Um, again, because we don't have the words of a lot of the modern Chechen terrorists today, um, it's a little harder to draw that connection, but there is definitely this strong um, jihadist ideology that's underpinning a lot of that independence, <clears throat> excuse me, the terrorism specifically in that independence movement. Um, so can speculate that it's, it's a significant portion, but it's, um, again, it's more speculative, the, the connection there right. in modern day. Right, that makes sense. Oh, so let me just make sure there's not some in the chat. Great. Um, Yes, great. Thank you so much, Emily. I think um, we are ready to move on. We appreciate your time and sharing your insight with us. Thank you so much, all. Cheers.